today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Babylon. Settle down in Babylon. You're going to be there for a while. Just take it easy. Don't fight against that. Don't try to break away. This is the punishment of God. So walk in the midst of that and grow in your trust in God. Yeah, even in your punishment. And isn't that the hardest thing for you and I to do? When God brings correction for us to stand with our big boy pants on, if I can use that expression, And take, again, what God is doing and still say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Israel in Isaiah's time was brazen, deliberate, and bold in its rebellion against God. They were proud of their sin. God, through Isaiah, begged them to repent, reminding them that sin always leads to judgment and death. If we turn to God and away from our compromise and corruption, God assures us that he will forgive us. There is still hope for you in God. In today's message, Pastor David will remind you that the discipline and judgment of God is still an expression of His mercy and love for you. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Isaiah chapter 3 as he continues his message, God's Judgment and Comfort. eight, Jerusalem stumbled, Judah's fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The look on their countenance witnesses against them. They declare their sin as Sodom and they don't hide it. Woe to their soul for they have brought evil upon themselves. I've never seen in our country, in my 65 short years in our country, the way we have literally glorified the sinfulness of man over and over and over in nearly every way, shape, form, and fashion, every media that is available to us, again, glorifying the sinfulness of man. How can these words not also speak to our nation, one nation that we say, one nation under God, one nation that was formed by, that we believe that God brought us to this nation for a purpose. No, we're not the new Israel. That's not who we are. We are a separate country, but we have blessings that God has brought to us. And yet I look at what Israel has done and I see the very same thing. Down in verse 13, the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes, for you have eaten up 
the vineyard. In other words, you've consumed everything. You're, you're consuming the people. He speaks about that a little bit later over in chapter five, again, about that, that, that vineyard of the Lord. Verses uh, 16 through 23 speak of absolute and total devastation, taking everything from them. The judgment continually, continually going on. Chapter four speaks about that so many have died. In that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food, we'll wear our own apparel, only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Because again, the population had been so devastated. God wants to renew them. God wants to rebuild them. And again, he brings that promise in verse two of chapter four. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And again, that understanding that we know of the branch, that's prophetically speaking of Jesus himself. The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. And when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Brings you right back to the Exodus, doesn't it? How God led them, God covered them. Not only was that fire and that cloud a covering and a direction for them, but that was also a protection as well as this continual knowledge that God is in our presence. Every morning I wake up and there's the fire of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of God flaming just outside the camp as we traveled at night, or if we traveled at night or the flame would be there, or during the day, the cloud would be there. Again, just that confirmation continually of God's blessing. Chapter five, he says, now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard. On a very fruitful hill, he dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. Oh, he built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. You see, he's speaking of God forming the nation of Israel, bringing them about. It says, he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. So now that's going to all be destroyed. It's gonna be consumed over. Uh, over in verse eight, woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there's no place uh, where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts said, truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitant. For 10 acres of vineyard shall yield one bath and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until nighttime, till wine inflames them. The harp and the strings, the tambourine, the flute, the wine are in their feasts, and they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of his hands. Their, their, their strength, everything was founded and, and established upon their abilities and their prosperities. Verse 13, so... Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have 
no knowledge. That gets back to that article that I read you earlier. Again, not taking the time to come to truly know and to grow in the things of God in our lives. Again, we become so infatuated and so connected by the here and now, the things that are perishing even as we use them. Uh, Verse 20 of chapter 5. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and pertinent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble, the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Can you imagine as a nation, as intense of a message as this is, for you and I just to sit here and read it, to really have a, a man of God come up to the nation as a whole and saying, thus says the Lord against you and I right now. Right now, God is saying that to us. We've seen the destruction of Israel, the northern kingdom. We've seen the Assyrians come and try to destroy the southern kingdom, but God had protected them up to that point. But he's saying, no, destruction is coming. And they continue to ignore it. They continue to, again, turn their backs on the word and on the prophecy of God. Chapter six actually speaks of Isaiah's calling. One thing I meant to share with you at the beginning, Isaiah is not necessarily in chronological order as we look at these things. How he wrote it in the process, again, there, there's, there's many things that we look and say, okay, how did that come about when and when was he writing that? But the message remains very firm. Very familiar passage there in Isaiah chapter six. I believe this is the the calling of Isaiah. He says that it was in the year that King Uzziah died and I saw the Lord seated on the throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, each one with six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. One cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you realize in in the Hebrewisms, this whole idea of the, the thrice holy, 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 it speaks of just a continual depth and, and expanse of holiness as he repeats those words or as the seraphim continue to repeat it. Holy, holy, holy. It just drives deeper and wider the holiness of God. But I believe also it speaks of the triunity of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Holy is our Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then Isaiah writes, and he says, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with the smoke. It's a very similar scene, actually, that we see in the book of Revelation. The very end, the angels, the seraphim, the elders, all crying out, holy, 
Holy, holy is the Lord. A powerful, powerful. People say, well, I don't know. Heaven seems like it's going to be kind of boring for me, you know, floating around on clouds, playing harps and that kind of thing. Number one, I don't know where they got that idea. I don't see that anywhere that our eternity is going to be spent floating around on clouds, playing on harps. One of the things that I do see within the word of God is a very powerful point and time of worship. And how long does that powerful point of worship go? Well, it can go on for a long, long time because he is worthy to be praised, amen? He is worthy of our worship. Well, Isaiah saw all this going on, the smoke filling the, 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 the whole house. And so he said in verse five, woe is me for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, at this point in time, in the midst of that vision, he figured he was toast. He was done for. Because he had seen the glory. He had seen the the beauty of it all. And Isaiah knew, man, I'm nothing. I'm a sinful man. I dwell in in a land of sinful people. There is no hope for me. And yet, just like God has done through the ages, from the time of creation, through the fall of man, and on through the last closing of the chapters of the book of Revelation, God takes our weakness and provides redemption for us. One of the seraphim, verse six says, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. He was in the very presence of the throne room of God. And from the altar, that angel came and touched his lips, said, your sin is purged. Your iniquity is taken away. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go, go and tell this people and check this message out because a first read of this message, just a light cursory reading of this message, man, that doesn't make any sense. But listen to what he says. Tell this people to keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. He said, well, Lord, how, how long? He said, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed man far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. I believe that what's happening here is says, I want you to proclaim these things to them and they're gonna keep sinning. That they're, they're, they're gonna continue in rebellion against me because judgment is coming. At this point in time, they had crossed over the line and judgment was going to come. 
And God was going to push through with that judgment because he knew that if he had pulled back from the judgment at that point in time, that very quickly they would be back in their sin. But God, because of the rebelliousness of the people, had to fulfill, again, the, the, the charge and the condemnation against them. Even King Ahaz, the, the wicked king, the one that had brought so much into the nation there of, of all the pagans. Chapter 7 tells us about that. And again, as King Ahaz is there, again, the, the nation started coming against him. Syrian forces are, were deployed to come and to destroy the city. And Isaiah was called to go and, and, and tell Ahaz what he needed to do to call out upon the Lord. And let me see, uh, in verse six, he says that these nations have said, go up against Judah and trouble it and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over there, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. In essence, what God is saying, I'm going to take care of this situation. These nations that are coming against you, they're soon going to be dissolved. They're going to be done away with. But I'm going to stand for you. Verse 10, moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it in either the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Again, on the surface, a cursory reading, you look at that and say, well, yeah, he doesn't want to test the Lord. I'm not not going to ask the Lord for a sign. I'll just believe the Lord. But the problem was, Ahaz didn't believe the Lord. He didn't want to believe the Lord. I don't want to sign because I don't want to be forced to believe the Lord. I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to take care of this situation myself. But because he said this, verse 13 says, then he said, hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary man, but you will also weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. It's a familiar verse. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know that to refuse the evil and to choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Now we read that and we think, well, that's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus, but This is saying that before that child even gets old enough to discern good and evil, that these enemies of the nation are going to be done away with. Well, how does the two of them uh, work together? Share this. It's, It's been quite a while, but many times in the prophetic message, God gives a prophecy to the, uh, a word to the prophet and he looks and he sees a hill in the distance and he says, that's what God is going to do. What he may or may not see is that beyond that hill, there is a greater fulfillment of that prophecy that's going to be fulfilled more completely at a later date. And this is exactly what's speaking of here. 
Again, Isaiah's wife had a child just shortly after this. A lot of theologians, commentators said, well, that's the fulfillment of that prophecy at that point in time. But we know that the greater and more complete fulfillment is the birth of Christ. Because again, Isaiah's uh, wife was not a virgin. Was she a young lady? The word there, virgin, many times is a young lady or a virgin. So there's that whole dynamic there. But primarily with the understanding that the declaration, the prophecy that he gave there was fulfilled both quickly as well as later on in the coming of Christ. Assyria will come in and and come against the land, but Jerusalem will not fall at this point in time. Eventually, Syria falls to the Babylonians, and then it's the Babylonians a little bit later that come and bring down Jerusalem and take away again, take full control of the southern nation, or uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. They're brought into exile. They're brought into, again, the punishment of the Lord. Uh, look what he says in chapter 8, verse 11. Chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will be your sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fail and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are the signs and wonders of Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. He's saying that these these nations that are coming, don't worry about them that God is going to be, again, their salvation. He's going to be their sanctuary. Even when the nations come and take away, the, the, when the foreign nations come and take away the southern kingdom, God is still going to have his remnant. God is still going to care for them. God is going to send them into exile. There is going to be a punishment. But God is saying that even in that, trust me in that, That's why when we get over to a prophecy of Jeremiah and Jeremiah says, look, you're in Babylon. Settle down in Babylon. You're going to be there for a while. Just take it easy. Don't fight against that. Don't try to break away. This is the punishment of God. So walk in the midst of that and grow in your trust in God. Yeah, even in your punishment. And isn't that the hardest thing for you and I to do? When God brings correction for us, to stand with our big boy pants on, if I can use that expression, and take, again, what God is doing and still say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's where Job was, and Job wasn't being punished for his own sin. Israel was being punished for their own sin, and they had prophet after prophet after prophet, not just Isaiah, but a whole multitude of prophets that came and said, you're gonna go into exile. 
The punishment of God is going to come upon you. You're going to be there for 70 years. And instead of saying, okay, we see our sin. We repent of our sin. We'll go through the punishment of it. And in the midst of that, Lord, strengthen us. I wish I could say that that's what the nation did. But unfortunately, it's not. And we'll get more into that as we get more into Isaiah. Noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.